Well, welcome to episode 37 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. I'm joined once again by Darren Hill. Darren, I know you've been a bit off colour earlier in the week, but how are you feeling tonight? Yeah, the um, it was... Uh, I'm okay. The, uh, the gastro is lingering, but if there's any mystery sound tonight, hint, hint, it rhymes with dry fetch. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you feeling well enough to knock over a couple of IPAs like you did last week? I don't want to have listeners already tuning out in the first 30 seconds, but there will be no stone IPA tonight. So if that if that's altered your view, we're going to get a very straight conversation around the NBA. So see you later to our, our more colorful viewers or listeners. And uh, welcome aboard, our wholesome churchgoers. Come on in. Well, Daz, we're going to start. We're going to move to the good, bad, and the ugly shortly across the NBA. But we'll start with a little bit of news that broke uh, during the the hiatus from the, our last conversation a week ago, and that was Jolie Okafor finally getting a trade, finally getting a new home. Him and uh, Nick Stauskas, uh, a number eight pick himself, Stauskas, going to the Brooklyn Nets and the second round pick for Trevor Booker going back the other way. Now, Trevor Booker's played his first game. Okafor and Stauskas yet to play for the Nets. Uh, Booker looked good today in a game we might touch on a bit later, the, the, the Sixers with a win over the Timberwolves. But what, what was your sort of immediate take when you saw that trade? I mean, obviously, from my point of view, I think there was just a bit of relief that Okafor finally found a home. Uh, but hard to, I guess, look too hard at, at, at winners and losers at this stage, or, or do you have a more of a clearer view about a winner and loser on this one? Well, for me, I guess it's the final punctuation point on the um, just the mishandling of Okafor full stop. I, I think we've probably gone on about that quite a lot you know, several episodes ago. Uh, when he passed, when his rookie extension didn't get renewed, that would have been sort of the first of November. So without going back into that, this was, the I guess, the final punctuation and indicative of how badly they've mishandled him and devalued him as a, both a player and him as an asset in that they were asking for first-round picks and ended up um, attaching a second-round pick just to get rid of him. So I, I guess I even, when I it was probably headlined as the Jalil Okafor trade, but I think what this, in reality, this was probably more about the, you know, the mid-30s, perhaps early 40s second-round pick that Brooklyn's going to pick up in return in addition to having you know, uh, a few-month tryout for Jalil and Stauskas. So I say I think it was about the pick, is why when I hear, we hear sort of the conversations around it and the motivations, um, and the fact they had to also cut um, Sean Kilpatrick was a, a, a roster casualty when they picked up um, Stauskas and Okafor. And, and so losing Booker and Sean Kilpatrick in a week, uh, or in, in, the, in the transaction, has had a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a locker room jolt for what's become quite a tight-knit group there in Brooklyn, so um, that's the Brooklyn side. On the Philly side, I actually think Booker is going to be a, a competent rotation player, especially when um, Embiid has to sit. I think we saw that in game one. He had a, just a healthy little stat line. He was, I don't know, 12 points, eight rebounds or something like that. Wasn't he quite an efficient little mm-hmm. little run? Look, he's got the the burst of going from a, you know, a really tight-knit team, but, you know, who might win 30 games into a team with real genuine, you know, whatever, let's say top five, top six aspirations and, you know, a couple of super exciting players, and I, I joked to you offline. I, I think I saw Booker, Trevor Booker, high fiving everyone in the stands, everyone on the floor, high fiving references. He was so happy to be playing. I guess you know, quote unquote, meaningful basketball. So, 
good on hardworking, good old Trevor Booker. You know, just well, it's a, just either up to it's a one game yeah, sample cool. size, but we've got let, let's compare Amir Johnson and Trevor Booker from today. Amir Johnson, thirteen minutes, zero points, a three fouls, two turnovers, one steal, two rebounds, minus ten plus minus. Trevor Booker, twenty points, six of eight from the field for twelve points. Five rebounds, five assists, two steals, one block, zero turnovers, zero fouls. So, again, one game sample size, let's not get too carried away. But Amir Johnson, to me, just looks like he's past a certain point in his career at this stage, whereas Trevor Booker's still got a little bit of pep in his step. Uh, and, and he's shown that uh, for Brooklyn. So I think it's a really nice pickup, actually, for... Uh, for the Sixers, and that hopefully means for them they're not going to fall completely off a cliff uh, once when Embiid sits. And and, and Holmes didn't actually play. Oh, sorry, Holmes started today and played 33 minutes, so he's obviously no longer coming off the bench either, it seems, um, for the Sixers. So interesting to see where that sort of all yeah. ends up. Although Covington uh, did sit today, so that that's why I was, I was just looking at Holmes then and thinking, why did he start but uh, Co- Covington Sydney, but Saric started as well, so I'm not sure what the machinations will be in terms of starting fives and who comes off the bench eventually uh, for that team. And Covington burnout today didn't give us a clear view of that, I guess. Uh, but I-, I like the pick up for uh, the Sixers, and I guess from the Nets' point of view, as you said, look, you're, you're having a look at Okafor and Stas because I think together their their value is next to zero given their contract situation, etc. Uh, and it does go to show just how much um, the Sixers sort of screwed that up. I'm not sure what they could have got for Okafor at his, at his peak. I guess the big the big stuff up really was picking him in the first place when you look back. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing so not I, much more to say, is there? Other, other than well, that. I guess I'm, I, I was almost <laughs> just thinking, you know, you're talking about Amir Johnson. I'm, I'm with you there. And I was thinking about the, you know, the Amir Johnson, the wall dang, Omer Ashik, um, Roy Hibbert, uh, Banana Boat would probably be more like the, <laughs> the human centipede, you know, of NBA players, where he just so quickly turned into nothing. Maybe Nerlens Noel is going to be quickly on the. He'll probably be the back end of that thing, having turned down seventy-one million dollars, <laughs> churning it out the backside. Um, I, I don't. I don't look. I don't. That's why I actually. It's, this isn't for me the Jalil Okafor trade. Yes, that's kind of the headline, but it's this trade actually wasn't about Jalil Okafor. I think Booker's a really strong addiction, addition to the team, and I think Okafor is not a really good fit. He's not a great fit in Brooklyn. They get up and down. They've had the – I haven't checked recently, but I think through mid-November, end of November, they were still going at the fastest pace in the NBA. So I go, how is that pacing um, and getting up and down the court, especially before D'Angelo Russell got hurt? It slowed a little bit, but when Russell was playing, they were getting up and down like crazy. And I go, how does a back-to-the-basket, you know, trudging sort of player like Okafor fit in that style? So I actually don't like him as a fit for the team, just their, just the way they're playing. So that's why I think this is actually about, you know, give him a little bit of an experiment. He might get some 10-minute rotations, 10-minute runs here and there, but I think they like the pick. I really do. I think they're just trying to restock that shelf. And, you know, it's, they're kind of turning a quasi-asset like Trevor Booker into an asset. You know, a 21-year-old Okafor, I guess, has still got some upside and, you know, a nice, who knows, the New York Knicks 19, 2019 second rounder is, is an asset. You know, um, so I, mm. I just like I like what they've done to kind of take make something out of nothing here. And and kudos for, I guess, this is in the, in the anti, an anti-hinky trade. 
this is a winish now sort of move, isn't it, by get, trading another uh, another draft pick? Not that Philly's short of second rounders in the future, but you just sort of see more Colangelo-isms in the team trying to, this for me is like the Trevor Booker is like the, the Ish Smith of power forwards, right? So um, a solid mm. glue guy, and he'll help their team. So Yeah. I yeah. mean, and, and on the just on the Nets too, they started Tyler Zeller at centre today, uh, but Jared Allen also got twenty minutes off the bench. Uh, so uh, Tyler yeah. Zeller, not not necessarily a guy's going to get up and down the court, but a very different player still than that. What what we've seen from Okafor, I guess the the big question is going to be: is there another string to Okafor's bow that we haven't sort of seen from what he's uh, been able to do in Philly because I mean the 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 games he played in Philly it's so hard to make a judgment on the guy because that those teams were just so, so horrendously bad that it's hard yeah. to make a judgment on on a guy one way or the other in terms of how he may fit so uh, I, I'm willing I, I, I think I, I like it for the Nets in terms of let's have a look at the guy if he's not a good fit can't even end the year you got the second round pick and I think I don't think you you would have turned your nose up at the second round pick for Trevor Booker at this stage and potentially a couple of guys that could could still fit in although I think the the ship sailed on Stauskas I think he is what he is at this stage I'd be surprised if if he stayed too much longer in the NBA to be perfectly frank yeah him and Jerry and Grant and Mario Hazonia will get their he own. could end up on the Bulls he could be a point guard for the Bulls I guess he could be on the Bulls yeah he could run seventh seventh string. <laughs> which still gets 15 minutes a night. <laughs> well, let's stay with the Nets for a second as we move on to our good, bad and the ugly. And I want to talk about the Nets from the point of view of we've had our first ever, well, certainly for this season and possibly ever, our first ever sports science victory in the NBA. And I and I bring that up because they won a game in Mexico City against uh, Oklahoma City last week. And Kenny Atkinson spoke about after the game, he spoke about some of the preparation that went into going and taking the games to Mexico, which I think was a great step on their part. I'm sure Brooklyn fans may have rolled their eyes. The only visit they get from the MVP this year, and they take the game to Mexico City. But for just the point of view of playing in the altitude there and the preparation that went into uh, getting the players ready to play in that altitude, uh, and he said, look, there was some some out-of-the-box sort of thinking that went into that. Uh, he said the players bought into it, which was great to see, and they just ran over the top. I watched the second half of this game, and they just absolutely ran over the top of OKC. They limited OKC to 12 points in the fourth quarter of this one, and uh, the Nets, the worst defensive team in the league. Uh, so that's that was a, a major shock to me. I mean, I guess it said something about how poor the OKC offensive structure is at the moment, but it also showed to me that they were able to just keep running all game. And when, you know, you get the likes of Russell Westbrook's a bit gassed at the end of a game and, and they're still running the way they were, I thought it was a big tick. And a big tick for the organisation. I think they're, they're a team with Sean Marks there and Kenny Atkinson. They're just going to keep trying different things and they're going to look for these little competitive advantages they can get so that when they are good uh, in a few years' time, hopefully for them, uh, they'll be able to put some of these learnings into place. And I, I think they're certainly a team to watch in terms of some of the little things they're doing around player development, around the, the sort of sports science side of things, uh, and certainly around analytics as well. They're going to be a team to watch. I think they're going to be right at the forefront of a lot of this stuff um, going forward in the years. I mean, you look at a guy like Spencer Dinwill, Din, um, Dinwiddie, uh, who was on the Bulls, believe it or not, would probably be the best guard on the Bulls at the moment. 
he's playing some really good basketball this year and he looks like he's going to have a career in the NBA. I'm not sure that he's a starter level player, but he's certainly a guy that could be part of a rotation on the good team. So they're, they're finding these sort of diamonds in the rough, if you like, bringing back, and even Damari Carroll's playing some, some decent basketball this year for them. So it's, they're creating a good, good professional environment and showing an ability to develop some players. So I, I like what I'm seeing from the Nets. And they're actually 11 and 15. And, um, you know, I think they're, what are they, 5 and 5 in their last 10. So they're, they're playing some uh, decent basketball as well and getting some results to back it up those. I I like what I've seen as well. You know how we talked early in the year about surprisingly competent basketball coming out of the New York Knickerbockers organization. They had a bit of a swoon with, I guess, especially when Zinger was out. But um, but as similarly, and it's not surprising, I suppose, with Kenny Atkinson. We did wonder, though, I guess, about what would happen with, um, you know, adding the likes of the Alan Crabs of the world and and some of the Damari Carrolls and just sort of were those guys past their use by dates when that would that clog things up? And they've been, they've actually been consummate pros and I, I like what they're doing as well. And just taking, taking players like Dinwiddie, as you're suggesting, and take, taking players like Booker, get playing to his strengths and turning him into an asset and then flipping him. Right. Same thing with Dinwiddie where, look, not the most athletic kid, but you know, he's six foot, six foot six kind of point guard, kind of Michael Carter Williams sized um, and shooting extremely high volume three pointers. They kind of done the, the brook the brook lopez fairy dust on spencer, uh, spencer dinwiddie right for his career averaged about you know not barely one three point attempt per game you know in his previous three seasons um and now is shooting five and a half per game and he jacked up 11 today and he only hit one right so he's <laughs> one from 11 from deep so again the, we talk about confidence in their players i can i can guarantee you though he'll be back out there tomorrow night and he'll probably shoot seven or eight more and so that's what you like in a coaching staff and a culture and what they're building there in New York is guys like Dinwiddie play to their strengths. Even when he goes one for 11, um, he still had a decent game, right? Contributed 12 assists, two steals. Again, probably the best point guard the Bulls could have. And, um, yeah, playing to his strengths. So you just got to – I like – you just like NBA teams who, who figure that stuff out. And I just sort of wish someone would rub off on Jason Kidd. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So um, moving on, we'll, we'll stick with the East for a moment because another team that's sort of around the middle but but certainly higher than the Brooklyn Nets is the Indiana Pacers. And they've had a really nice uh, little run here, particularly one, one player in particular, uh, the player of the week for the Eastern Conference last week on a four-game win streak, the Pacers, was Victor Oladipo. And a lot of the talk has been around Oklahoma City and, oh, what about the trade now with uh, Oladipo essentially for Paul George? Uh, in terms of, you know, what have Oklahoma City missed out on? But I, the team I'm looking more at is the Orlando Magic. I mean, the Orlando Magic gave up on this guy um, completely. And th- he he would be the best backcourt player that they have at the moment. And to get, what was it, six months out from Serge Barker, and then they had to move Serge Barker on as well. I mean, Rob Hennigan, there's been some really bad, GM performances over the years in the NBA. That's got to, what he did to Orlando after Dwight Howard left. It really has to has to be right up there in terms of just absolute shit shows. <laughs> we could do we could dedicate the entire ugly episode to Rob Hennigan. Um, we could 
So I, I saw the Pacers a few times this week. I, I should I point to out too, sorry, didn't that's for bonus as okay. well. Uh, obviously part of that trade. And that was a no that Orlando could have taken with with that pick because that was the pick they sent to OKC as part of the Abarca trade. Yeah, that was, right? So, um, look, there's several things about about the Pacers. One, I think they're surprising the planet. Did Name one, name one national or local sports writer who said, hey, awesome trade. Well done, Indiana. Well done maximizing the value of Paul George. I think we'd be hard, be hard pressed to find one. Right? Well, that's right. I think that the only thing I said at the time was, and it's shown to be true, was at least they they backed their own judgment and they liked Oladipo. Oladipo was their guy, Albert and Indiana from Indiana University. So they they knew him. Their local kid. They liked his game and they just said, look, we're putting our faith in their own judgment that this is our guy. And I, I lo- That's the only defense I gave for the trade at the time. I was obviously with everyone else to think that they didn't get enough, but it, it's shown that their judgment has been correct, I think. Yeah, well, I. it's sort of like the, um, I don't know, even like, a, uh, who is it, Quinn Snyder, came out and said it and Ainge and um, about, about uh, D- uh, sorry, Donovan Mitchell. Like, yeah, we were high on this guy, but if you thought that we could suddenly make him a 30% usage player and run the point, I would literally be lying to you. Same thing in Boston. If we thought, you know, we love Jason Tatum, thought he's one of the best players, but he'd be shooting 52% from three point land through 26 games. Right. And anchoring our, our defense at the at the wings, I'd also be lying to you. So I think there's a bit of that as well in Indiana. I think they're full of rubbish if they thought this guy's going to be, what, 25 points a game shooting. I don't even know what's his effective field goal percentage off the charts. Right. 48, 49 percent from the field, 44, 45 percent from deep. Um, his turnovers are you know, still a bit of a problem, but you can forgive that when he's at high volume, high efficiency, high usage sort of player. So he's be, literally become miniature Russ. So it, I think he's a little bit, a little bit of bullshit, a little bit of hubris, a little bit of, you know, patting himself on the back for it. Um, so that for me is why I actually like that. Um, this clearly isn't the Jimmy Butler trade already. I think we can say that for 25 games, there's there's something to work with here. The other part of that, right, which is I think we'll we'll continue to see uh, in the mirror a reflection of this is just how miserable Oklahoma City continues to be. You know, they're still under 500. And what's it like? You know, we call him Cupcake, and he'll always deserve the Cupcake label. But what if Kevin Durant was right? What if this? What if the playing with Russ is the is just such a frustrating, um, frustrating proposition that there's a you know almost like a Shawshank Redemption where you slide out the end of the tunnel and there's you're just so joyful you're happy to go build a wooden boat and you know, Tuatanejo or whatever that was in Mexico. You're so happy to do anything. So there's a little bit of that happening to Oladipo and Sabonis as well, where they're just so, they're free of the shackles, free of what was being, you know, like to play under the, you know, under the thumb of Russ or under the shadow. And dare I say to a little bit lesser extent, Dion Waiters has found a career, you know, not playing with Russell Westbrook in a very happy play. So it's not the only player here. This is a, this is a theme. So, um, well, I'm here's happy for... a stat I heard on, on the yeah. Thunder. Can you guess how many screens Russell Westbrook has set this season for Camelo Anthony? 
That is the best quote I've heard. I, I actually heard that one. That was a was it a Duncan Danny Danny Larue one or something like that? No, I no, forget. It, it was either Zach Lowe or the Ringer or them guys. Oh, it was, was Lowe and Arnovitz. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So I'm going to spoil it by saying I think Arnovitz guessed like 40, right? And the actual number is zero. Right? Zero. And then <laughs> Zach Lowe went. Zach Lowe went five tins of Stone IPA mental about about how like how OKC was playing. So. uh so yeah, Russ just when Russ doesn't have the ball, he stands there and sulks. He doesn't set screens. He doesn't move off the ball. He doesn't do any of that stuff. And guess what? This year, this version of Carmelo is not you know, is not Olympic Carmelo. But I digress. The conversation was about the Pacers. Um, what I am going to be curious to see is how much uh, how much of this style of play like this just doesn't make sense that this is coming from um, Nate McMillan, does it? You're like, it's almost like what's happening in Toronto. Like, I don't know. Like, this isn't, that's not Dwayne Casey style. And I'm like, I don't know. This sort of high usage running amok, uh, you know, just this almost loose sort of play just looks the antithesis of Nate McMillan. So uh, I don't know, right? I, I guess there's a, something doesn't, something doesn't quite add up unless, I'm not giving enough credit to these leopards being able to change their spots. So that for me is perhaps a, a little bit of subtext. We'll see how this plays out over time with um, if um, Oladipo and, and McMillan can coexist. But man, if you're a Pacers fan, you, you probably went from the depths of, because I think there's probably a lot of Pacers fans who tune into this podcast, um, the depths of, oh my God, our one franchise player is lost and suddenly this resurrection from kind of a hometown kid who wants to be there. The funny yeah, thing look- is, Daz, I mean, Miles M- Turner's not even playing that well, considering what, what our expectations probably were. I mean, if you had said at the start that you have 26 games, they're 15-11, you would have been like, well, Miles Turner's obviously having their breakout year. He's been playing okay. He certainly hasn't been terrible or anything, but he, he hasn't really taken the leap I think people probably thought. I think it's just been a matter... For, from Nate McMillan's point of view too, where I think there's some freelancing going on in terms of they've just given Oladipo the keys and said, let's yeah. see what he can do running running the team. And I mean, he's he's in the 100th percentile in terms of usage. Uh, so he's either, if not the top, he's, he's certainly right at the top of the league in terms of his usage. But he's getting the assist, the assist numbers are there. The scoring numbers are there. The efficiency is quite good. You expect the turnovers are going to be up when you're being used that much, uh, and then you know. But the, he's picking, he's putting guys in position to succeed. Like they said, you know, Sabonis is now out. Um, last season was really only shooting threes because it was just a matter of everyone just standing around watch Westbrook do do his thing and hopefully uh, get the ball. Whereas this season, he's sort of getting in the spots that he's more comfortable on the floor, and that's that's led to his success. And of course, Lance Stevenson continues to just amaze he comes in the fourth quarter of these games and i've seen it two or three times as where he just comes in and takes over for stretches in the game and you just think i, I can't believe what i'm seeing from this guy that was run out of town everywhere else he's been in his career except for indiana well he still has his fair share of complete brain snaps oh, but um right he does i mean that goes without saying i suppose but yeah look i think there's um I think Turner's probably, I'm guessing, right? He's getting excited to be part of, um, you know, probably a new sort of tandem. And he's he's probably learning how to play true second and third fiddle 
you know, to Victor's, you know, sort of first and second fiddle. So I think there's a bit of that going on with Turner where he's such a nice um, rim runner, um, put back sort of player. He's got a little bit of a post game. He's got a, you know, he can, he can shoot the ball and, and he just sort of needs to be involved in the action. Oladipo is just so effective with the ball and creating his own shot and breaking offensive down and, and driving and dishing out to the, to the shooters. Um, that just, I think Turner's just by the nature of his game going to be a bit, it's going to take him a while, I think, to adapt to a player like Oladipo. But um, he's still got a, they still got a nice future. I, I, it's, it's an amazing, isn't it? How three months ago we we're like this moribund little small market team loses out again to a player who wants to play in California, and so good on Indiana for turning it around. And they played one of the more entertaining, if not um, maddening, games I've seen this season, which is. I might just dash to the ugly if you don't mind. Just while we're on Indiana, <laughs> I watched the the Nuggets uh, Nuggets Pacers a couple nights ago, and I've been bagging on Denver all year. Just they don't pass the eye test for me. And uh, Jokic was out, so uh, it's always interesting to see how teams play around. You know when they miss kind of their, you know it's not exactly missing Kawhi or Giannis or or John Wall, but when Jokic is out, it's obviously changes the dynamic of their offense. And just goes to show what, you know, trading away Jameer Nelson has done to that team, where Denver built a nice lead, um, had a very tidy lead, eight, leading by eight, 114-106 with just under three minutes to go. And it was, the game was over for all intents and purposes, right? They're shooting really well, and it was over. And then crunch time happens, right? Last, um, last three minutes of the game. And what you saw is uh, Barton and Harris and Chandler just taking turns, shooting, dribbling the ball for 22 seconds and shooting god-awful 22-footers. There was no penetration. There was no ball movement. And even worse, there was no coaching. He didn't let it – he didn't stop it and run any plays. And so they went they went from up eight with 245 to go that went into overtime, and they got outscored 11 nothing in overtime until the game was saw out of hand. They let him do a mercy layup. So it literally went seven and seven minutes without an effective field goal aside from the mercy layup. And I just thought, man, if someone's coaching seat isn't warm after a game like that, it should be. Because I thought that was some of the lowest IQ basketball I'd seen all season. If you can't protect an eight-point lead with two and a half to go um, by not even running a play, not calling the right timeouts, not stopping the guys and, in, in, you know, and in, in doing something. So that game was maddening. So good on, good on Indiana. It would have been a feel-good comeback. But that game was all about Denver's just complete inability to create anything without Jokic on the floor. Oh, I think the thing with Denver is they just they don't have a point guard, and they didn't trade Nelson away either. Does they cut him? Yeah, that's right. So didn't they? they didn't even get anything for him. to pick uh, up Richard Jefferson, right? To pick up Jefferson, who hasn't played. I mean, just you know, really, I'm, I'm just ridiculous. Oh, sorry, he played the two minutes, the the random two minutes In against Brooklyn. the Nets. <laughs> So it worked that one out. Look, I think Malone's done a terrible job there. I think he should be under pressure. I, I understand, obviously, Millsap being out now. Jokic is out as well. The other thing is um, the whole uh, Mason Plumlee contract. People are scratching their heads about that now because Farid has actually overtaken him in terms of well, the rotation to the point of view of who they're playing in the fourth quarter. They're playing Farid ahead of him. So that says everything you need to know about how Mason Plumlee's going, uh, who they obviously traded Nurkic away for and then gave him a contract in the off-season. So uh, head-scratching all around there. But the, the big head-scratching to me was getting rid of Jameel Nelson when you 
I understand the thinking, I guess, let's see what we've got with Moody and Murray, but neither of those guys have looked like a point guard uh, to me or a starting NBA calibre point guard. So there's still a massive hole in the roster. Uh, and when you consider they traded away the pick that would have been Donovan Mitchell does, uh, Donovan Mitchell would clearly be the best point guard option on this team, even if it, it is, the jury may still be out on whether he's going to be a pure point guard himself or not. But uh, he'd be a much better player than I think Tyler Lydon. Uh, Trey Lyles had a good game in, in the game you've just mentioned there, but he, he's been a little bit underwhelming himself this year. So I think there's big problems there. And we, we were both high on Denver um, when they made the signings. We wanted to, I guess, see how it played out when the season started, but uh, it hasn't hasn't been good. Their defense has really been terrible. It was a little bit better, when obviously, when Millsap was there. It's fallen off a cliff since then. And when you can't stop people, anyone at the point of attack with, with such poor point guard play is what they're getting. Uh, and you're not getting much playmaking at the other end either. It's yeah. not a recipe for success. Yeah, look, they desperately need Jokic <laughs> and um, and Millsap back because they say uh, that you lose two players like that. So maybe we should give them a little bit of a, a little bit of a break, I suppose. But Wilson Chandler has been terrible most of the season. Mason Plumlee, we've talked too much about already. He's a he's a Plumlee. Um, I, I don't understand the, was it, is it Arnovitz and Danny who did the little parlor game of who would you rather have for the next six years, Donovan Mitchell or Jamal Murray? And they both were on, I guess, on the fence with Murray and then slightly leaning to Mitchell. And I just, I'm, am I crazy? I haven't seen Murray do anything anywhere near to the level that we've already seen Mitchell do. And so I'm, I'm with you. I'm kind of worried about him as a point guard. He's kind of a nice combo guard, but I just don't see him. I don't see him running an offense. No, I mean he shot the lights Mike out earlier on in yeah. his rookie season last year. Then he went off a cliff, and people thought maybe he hit the rookie wall. Uh, but he, he hasn't sort of shown anything this year. And I understand there's some inefficiencies at the moment in Donovan Mitchell's game, but he is still only rookie, of course. Uh, so that's that's to be expected. Uh, from what I've seen, I, I, it's, it's a no-brainer to me. You'd take Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, Look, and- it's good good for them, though. I guess Lyles is showing flashes. <laughs> He's had two really nice games here. Maybe that's maybe it's the wake-up call. Maybe Jokic and Millsap being out sort of saying, hey, look, why not give this – you know, this theoretical stretchy, you know, stretchy four kind of small ball five uh, a chance and, you know, former lottery pick who's got, the, you know, maybe he's got some untapped potential there. So, mm. look, they've still got some, they still got some pieces, but I'm actually, I'm thinking the coaching is a real head scratcher in that Indiana game just basically gave that game away. I didn't understand it at all. And, um, yeah, I just, they're going to have to, I think they need to do something, don't they, with, I mean, what, why are you keeping Chandler and Fareed around on this team? You know, if, maybe it's a, a sentiment of the trade market, but players like that, I think, should be, you know, on the move at the trade deadline. If, you know, if, if no Jokic and, and Millsap are at all at all healthy, I just I don't see those guys playing in, uh, in any sort of role with this team. Well, the funny thing is, the thing they need most now is is a point guard. So we'll see where they well, that's right. where they end yeah. up moving. Something. Yeah, just the, the final point on the Pacers, they, they've had some real signature wins as well so far this year. Uh, they've beaten the Cavs twice, they beat the Spurs, and they beat the Raptors. So they've, they've had some good wins. It hasn't been just all, all the sort of cupcake schedule. So they're a team to watch. And, and to me, I, I love watching them uh, on League Pass. And I, I, I sort of wouldn't have been shocked if they made the playoffs. That was more sort of a, a statement on how weak we thought the East was going to be. But 
the biggest surprise to me is just how entertaining they've been. So um, they're they're one of the they're sort of moving up day by day in terms of uh, league pass options, uh, at least from my point of view. Um, Oladipo is fun. <laughs> he's he's like the friendly Russ. He is. He's thirty one percent usage, I think, but. You know, he's fun. He's really fun to watch, yeah. Yeah, he's getting it done. I mean, and there's no... The other thing I think from them is that they're not doing anything you look at and say, I think it's unsustainable at the moment. Uh, Whereas, you know, you look at what Orlando, for example, were doing earlier in the season and, you know, Aaron Gordon shooting that ridiculously. He was shooting 70%, I think, one stage from three. And you're like, well, that's just not going to continue. Uh, Whereas... You know, Oladipo's done it now for the you know, 26 games, so you you feel like that's going to continue. Maybe not quite at, at those sort of gaudy numbers that we're seeing, but uh, I, I still think they're going to continue on. They they look to me to be a sort of 45 win team. Whether that's going to be good enough to sort of hold in around that five six seed, we'll wait and see. Uh, they're certainly going much better than the Wizards at the moment. Let's see what the Wizards can do once John Wall comes back. Um, we might move conferences though, Daz, if we stay on the good. And there's a team I know you've been dying to talk about for a few weeks and uh, I haven't sort of been as keen, but we're ready to talk about them now. They've won eight of their last ten games, got their best player back today, albeit in a loss, funnily enough, and that's the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, how surprised are you? I mean, if I said Kawhi Leonard misses the first 27 games of the season uh, and the Spurs are nine and eight, I mean, how surprising is that to you? With this roster, even with the the history that they have, that everyone knows about uh, ad nauseum, with how much I thought they've even failed at plan C and plan B by um, having to pay the ransom for Powell and and Rudy Gay, the least Spursy-looking player with post-Achilles rupture, I just... And then paying Patty Mills and losing—I just didn't—I didn't understand their offseason at all, Daz. So if you said twenty-seven games without Kawhi, I literally would have said twelve and 15, 13 wins. I go pops, pops brilliance would have squeezed out you know a five hundred squad with um, if Bag of Donuts was you know was playing at all you know decent. Um, so the fact they were what eighteen and eight or nineteen and eight 19 without and him yeah. is. Yeah, nineteen and eight, and so they're okay. They're nineteen and nine now after today. Yeah, so yeah, completely stunned. And at some point, I suppose, um, I think as I think Zach Lowe said it as well. He said at some point, um, the national media has to, t- to start to pay attention to a team who's eighteen and eight or nineteen and eight and just gets absolutely no coverage. And he says, well, since the, no, the national media doesn't cover them, then we won't we, w- we won't either. Tongue firmly planted in cheek, but um. Oh, so, so I'm glad you brought him up, Daz. Fancy that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I've I've checked in on him a couple times, and it, it's just I saw the I watched the condensed version of the condensed version of the Boston game, um, which was fun, and um, uh, I ke- checked in on today, which wasn't looking so good because I happened to see Kawhi, um, yeah, shoot a couple of shots really short and really late and you just see he didn't have his, his late his game legs back yet well he came out and scored the first six points he hit his first three shots he did. Uh, yeah and i, did, I haven't seen any of it to be honest but they only play him 16 minutes uh lose a close one in the end jojo Breyer actually caught fire in the last quarter and the spurs have had one one thing i am seeing they, they've got problems with these sort of smaller quick point guards 
um, and JJ Barea yeah. lit them up today. Mike James lit them up the other day against Phoenix. Um, they have obviously a lot. Of, they're not the only team to have problems with Kyrie Irving, but Kyrie Irving really does enjoy playing the Spurs. Um, and uh, obviously Steph Curry and players like that. And that, that's what you're sort of thinking, I guess, ahead. You wonder how they're going to be able to contain some of the players that they might be able to come up against um, in the playoffs. So the the, the reason behind them, I and, and, and it was on show really in the game against Boston, it was a very high standard game between two teams pretty much playing the same way. But the Spurs never went away from their identity the whole game. You know, they don't make mistakes. They don't make the mental errors that other teams seem to make. And toward, and that, that was a game that really was close pretty much the entire game. And Boston got out to a lead early because Kyrie sort of hit five of his first seven shots, I think four of which were threes. So he was away very, very quickly uh, in the first quarter. He had 17 points in the first quarter of that game. But the Spurs sort of just chipped away at it as they do. And then it came down in crunch time and, the Spurs, as I say, they didn't go away from their offense. They're still moving the ball around, uh, whereas Boston, Kyrie Irving, a little bit of hero ball from him, which you know you, you grant him. I mean, he scored 57 yeah. points in that building. He's having a great season. But they had their final three shots were Kyrie Irving, mysteries without a pass yeah. to anyone else, whereas the Spurs were moving the ball around. A little bit lucky with the Ginobili shot. I mean, he... he Shot it nearly hit the roof. He had to put it up that high because Horford was closing out on him. Uh, but Bryn Forbes hit some nice shots. Bryn Forbes had a nice game. Actually, he he was the only Spur that looked halfway competent guarding Kyrie Irving, which actually actually surprised me because he's more known as just an offense-only player. So to see him come out and play some good defense was a good sign. They just they keep getting contributions from pretty much everyone except for Joffrey Laverne. They've got nice contributions from um, this season. So and Rudy Gay, look, he brings it one oh, maybe three out of every four nights he's played really well, but he has that one one out of every four nights where you go, you look at him and say, yep, there's a guy coming back from an Achilles tear. But generally, he's looked quite good. Uh, Powell's played some good games. Aldridge has been a beast so far. So the question mark for them is now, how do they integrate Kawhi Leonard back into this system, still get Aldridge's touches, still keep that, that offense sort of churning along? The fact that they've still they've got they've had a top 10 offense without Kawhi Leonard is just stunning to me uh, and playing the slowest pace in the league. I mean, it's just, it's quite amazing. Yeah, the way they've dropped the 13th field. in offensive rating, but oh, I was I just going to yeah. say that okay. yeah, it's still, still, still top half, which is yeah. pretty astounding, right? But I think for the roster, it's construction, the lack of, let's be honest, lack of athleticism, not a lot of, you know, individual playmakers to break it down. So we go, how the hell do they do it? And I just quick pulled up the stats and it won't surprise you that, the Spurs are still, even after today, number three in, in the league in defensive rating, right? 101.1 behind only the Celtics and, and OKC. They're right there with uh, just a smidge above Golden State. They are also then um, fifth in the NBA in assist percentage, which would sound right, wouldn't it? Yep. Where they're just that ball is moving and they're finding they're finding the best shot. They are also then limit the the um, their opponents. They're sixth in the league in. Uh, defensive rebounding percentage so they when teams miss they don't give second chance points and as you hinted they are they're not the slowest they're actually the second slowest team their pace is ahead of only the uh, sludge worthy memphis grizzlies who don't have mike conley so they limit possessions they assist the ball and pass it really well they rebound it when the other teams uh, miss the shots and they play strong 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 team defense i go that's the spurs 
So I think you're right. It's kind of like uh, integrating Kawhi and his, you know, what's hopefully is a back to 25, 28, 30% usage is going to be a little bit of a thing. And we'll see how you're right. You, you hit the nail on the head. Will, how will um, uh, baby fat, how will we handle it? How will we handle that? He's had, to be honest, he's had a good run. He's had a really nice stretch of 25 games. No lie. Um, I said before, I can't believe how him and Horford looked so awful, you know, four months ago and they looked like they were reborn this year. So, um, mm. yeah, good on the Spurs for still being the Spurs. And, um, yeah, we'll see. Good, good to have Kawhi back and, I almost partially tongue in cheek. I did a bit of a. I didn't. I just looked up. I thought, man, what's what's Kawhi's, what's Kawhi's injury history? And again, you would know this intimately. But did you know that he's never played more than seventy four games in a season? That he's yeah, played. Yeah, that asterisks on that with it being the Spurs. I know he gets some rest stuff, right? Is that is that is that where there's some rest from? games in there? I mean, yeah, he, okay. he sat out. Uh, I think the last couple of seasons, actually, he sat out the last few games of the entire season. Yeah, okay. That's what, okay. That's what I think. Last year, I don't remember him even having, obviously, until the playoffs, nothing. But, you know, 64, 58, 66, 64, his first four years in the in the league, he never made, you know, played more than 66 games. But, uh, and they, they keep his minutes down as well. He's only, he only played 33 minutes a game last year. So, yeah. if we talk about more ugly, which is, I think the noise is growing around Minnesota, you just look at things about how does a team like the Spurs continue to do it or you're talking sports science and I go, guess what? They're their best player and they're all NBA player. He's playing thirty three minutes a night on average last year. And I've no doubt they'll keep that probably even lower this year, won't they, as they ease him back into it. So Well they play um, the Rockets on, on Saturday our time, uh and um, I'll be I, I think he's gonna play about twenty minutes there as well. So um yeah. I, I don't hold any great hopes. Although the the clash of the contrast in styles is always fascinating to watch. When, when Houston play the Spurs, uh, just to see who comes out on top in that. And generally, the Spurs have to play faster. Um, I'll give D'Antoni that. The only, the only coach that's able to, to speed the Spurs um, up is Mike D'Antoni because you just have to have to play it that way, um, the way that they're doing it. So, uh, But look, the other thing, yeah. the, the other point I'd make on the Spurs, in terms of the defence, the ability to defend without fouling is an underrated skill, I think, on the defensive end. And the Spurs have really perfected that, or almost perfected it, in the last couple of years. Um, you know, and, and there's no Tim Donahue's around either anymore, Daz, to sort of blame that on. That that is a that is a coaching thing uh, that comes from the team. And the hundred uh, percent. Yeah. So the, and and Power Gasol really is. If you watch Power Gasol defend around the rim. Um, that is how you need to defend around the rim. Uh, he surprised me actually how good a defensive player he's actually been um, since coming over to the Spurs because it's not an area you probably would have thought uh, Pau Gasol was going to contribute, but he's been really, really good, particularly in that area. That's another one, particularly with the Rockets coming in, and you know the Rockets love to get to the line. Just watch the way they, they defend James Harden when he's driving to the basket. It's really, really clever the way they do it. I'm interested to see too, does Harden adjust from what they did to him in the playoffs. So there's going to be some fascinating things to watch in that game. I think Houston will win. Uh, they're going a little bit better at the moment, but I'm going to be interested to see what what changes they may have made um, from what uh, what we saw last season. Yeah. I, I did see, just quickly on the Rockets, I don't want to spend too much time because we spoke about them last week, but I did see little, little things I'm seeing from them was that they played Utah, for example. Now, Utah just sold out in the three and... and 
guard that three-point line, which we know the Spurs will do, and we're basically giving them open mid-range shots. Now, you know D'Antoni teams generally don't take them. Well, this game, they started taking them, and Chris they Paul in particular was... Chris Paul was just like, you're going to leave me open from the three-throw line? I'll just drain that all day. So, at half-time, Quinn Snyder had to make some changes because they were hitting those shots. And, of course, the floodgates opened in the third quarter. So, the Spurs are going to adopt a similar style on Saturday... And even Harden, it was so funny. Harden had a had a wide open mid range shot, and you could just see he didn't want to take it. It was like this is against every every instinct I've ever had. But he sort of he just sort of chucked it up there, nothing but net, of course, because he can he can hit them all day. So it was really funny to see because Chris Paul, that's just second nature to him to hit those shots. But some of the other rockets sort of going through their minds, you know, this is not a shot that we normally take. But but they are willing to. Um, have a little bit of versatility, I suppose, in their game plan now, which is probably a good sign for them going forward. Um, now, now, another team you just mentioned earlier, Daz, in terms of defensive efficiency, because I don't expect the Spurs to stay in number three for too much longer because Golden State have got their mojo back on the defensive end. Now, maybe it was the Steph Curry injury that sort of helped this. I think it has in a way because it's amazing how far their offensive ceiling can fall when Steph Curry's not out there. Um, it was I was listening to a dunked on podcast and they were talking about a lack of shooting at the Warriors and I thought that I've never heard the Warriors and lack of shooting in the same sentence for a couple of years. But without Steph Curry there, it, it does present some problematic sort of lineup choices for Steve Kerr from an offensive point of view. But gee, their defensive ceiling goes up. I saw the the five that man unit they finished the Pistons game with was Livingston, Iguodala, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green and KD. And the Pistons just uh. couldn't get open. There was no, like, they were get, you get in, so you got Ish Smithsky or, or Reggie Jackson, they were both involved in the crunch time in this game, go into a pick and roll, they got Livingston on them, then the pick and roll finishes, you got Iguodala on you. Well, you're no better off. And they literally could not get and find an open shot. It was just multiple shot clock violations, block shots, stolen passes, they just did not have an open look that I could recall in the, like, the final six minutes of what was actually a close game. Like Detroit had played pretty tough to that point. Um, and I was thinking about it. I mean, if you throw a line like that, there, what, what's the answer? I mean, I think Pop said it best. I mean, and Pop said this in, in last year's uh, Western Conference Finals. He said he thinks the key was to get the ball into the post quickly and get up a quick shot. Or, or get the ball uh. in the post. As soon as that ball's in the post, you've got to go up. Because if you're sitting there, take a dribble, any hesitation at all, and they're slapping You're going the to be in the jaws hands. of the beast. Yeah. Exactly. So that might be... But I'm, I'm again, the go to the Rockets, I'm fascinated to see how the Rockets handle that level of defensive intensity. Because I think there's no question to me who the best defensive team in the league is, and it's Golden State when they're, when they're locked in like that. Um, and that's the matchup that I'm really salivating over at the moment. Yeah, look, I saw them play uh, the Blazers the other night, and similarly, you know, to, for C.J. McCollum, right, to only get off three three-pointers, the, he's one of the, he's number two or number three in the league. He literally only got three attempts off. He was never open at the three-point line. Now, so so Dame, they basically said, let, we're going to let Dame bring the ball up and just play hero ball. That's what they let him do. Um, but they were not going to let any off-ball stuff happen. They were they were denying C.J. Um, they were defending the hell out of the flare screens and stuff that, that sort of spring him open. He did nothing. So, right, Portland's Portland's always a troublesome team to play against when they've got both of those guys, both those guys firing. 
but Golden State has Curry sitting, uh, Draymond sitting, and no Zaza, um, and no problem, right? They, they turn players like Pat McCaw into really competent defenders, and Quinn Cook and, you know, Livingston plays 25 minutes, and Caspi played a competent, you know, 25 minutes. So it's it's amazing what they can fucking do. It's almost annoying when you're missing two all-NBA players, and they just played scintillating defense against the Blazers, and Blazers played pretty well. That was a game they could have won, but no, they just decided we're going to shut down McCollum, and there was no answer. Like, we're going to let Al Farouk Amino, if he's going to try and, you know, shoot late shot clock um, jumpers, we'll see if he can beat us and let Dame, if Dame would have been uh, Etwan Moore hot, <laughs> they would have had a chance, but he wasn't. So, um, and that's what right. I'm seeing. I mean, yeah. in terms of, the, you talk about the top defense, and that's Boston. That's what I'm seeing with Boston, and Golden State is similar, and so is San Antonio. They know the scouting report on every single team. So if you've got a guy that's not a good three-point shooter, they'll just let him take that shot. Like they don't make mental errors that you see teams like the Pills and the Nuggets who we've spoken about make where they're rushing out to a guy that's not a three-point threat and then he just dumps it inside and it's an easy two. They don't make those sort of mistakes. No. I just love the strategy. You just sort of see it. I could see it in real time. And I'm like, oh, they're just, they're just not going to let McCollum get the ball. They're going to basically turn Portland into a – they're going to make uh, Lillard put the cape on and be a hero, and they know that's going to make – they know they can't sustain it. And they couldn't. It was a pretty close game, and Portland made a bit of a run in the fourth to make it a little bit closer than it probably was. But it was just – just love to see the execution. So you're right. As high-powered as high powered that offense is, man, their, their defense is, dare I say, even better than their offense. Is that sickening? Yeah. Well, question without notice. If the Bucks bite the bullet and move Giannis to the centre, could they develop a defence like that themselves? I mean, is that is that the end game? We've seen more and more of that. The challenge is Giannis is playing big minutes, right? He's number, I think him and LeBron are 1-2 in the league. So that's the big challenge, right? Is He is bigger, but he just can't, he can't do that for, you know, more than you know, 10, 12 minutes a night. Mm. That's tough if someone's got a bruiser. But the short answer is yes, of course. Um, yes, um, if you move Middleton to the forward, you got Snell, Bledsoe, Brogdon sort of lineup. Uh, it's there, but it's, the potential is there, their own version of death. But um, uh, yeah, that's a toll. That's a toll. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it has but to Draymond, be spot minutes, but Dr- that's what Draymond does. Yeah, I mean, Draymond not, does it, He's right? never going to yeah, play four yeah. quarters at centre, but he, he plays them spot minutes there, and I think that's that's where they're leaning to. I mean, there's been the a bit of criticism from, from Kidd that, that he hasn't done it, but this is Giannis's breakout year. I don't he has. Go he's too done far it more too. this year. He has actually done it a little bit more, but now that he's got Bledsoe, he needs it a little bit less, so we're actually finding, and we're shocked that John Henson, shocked, is competent. He's doing John Henson-y things, which in a competent way. But just going back to, I don't want to delve into a Bucks conversation, um, but right, Draymond doesn't have to carry the offensive load. Same way that James Harden, you know, can can tippy toe. When Giannis is carrying the offensive load and the defensive load, it's like how many players do that? LeBron, Kawhi, and right, maybe Giannis. I go. There's not many players in the league who are both you know, all NBA defense and anchor their teams, everything defense and initiate all their offense. There aren't that many. Hmm. So it's just, it's just pure, it's gotta be a, in short bursts. It just, cause he's, he's too meaningful on offense and in transition. Yeah. So Draymond, right. He doesn't, he just doesn't have that pressure on offense. 
Well, let's just let's move on to the bad now, Daz. And I had a little bit of a rant I wanted to go on. Did you see the end of the, the Clippers-Wizards game, uh, which was played Monday morning our time? <laughs> no, but I'm. you told me I'm, I'm dying to hear the story. No, I didn't see it. Well, basically what happened was, so there's 0.8 of a second. Oh, sorry, there was 1.2 seconds left. And the ball gets inbounded to Bradley Beal. Bill takes a quick dribble, puts up the shot, it goes in. Wizards were down one, by the way. So the shot goes in. You think, okay, Wizards are one. Then they uh, the, the Clippers clock uh, operators say, oh, sorry, we put the clock on too early. We're going to have to come back and reset the play. Now, no one really knew what the rule was. For some reason, the clock was reset to 1.1 seconds and they took the ball in at a separate spot than what they had. So they, they didn't get the ball where you normally have a timeout. It was actually on the baseline, which is a worse place to bring the ball in from. So they didn't get as a good look, missed the shot. I think Mike Scott ended up taking the shot for them. So that wasn't wouldn't have been plan A, I would have thought, from the Wizards' point of view. So they lose the game. And it was bad enough, but then I, I, as soon as I heard it happen, I thought, these guys have got form on this because I remember the exact same thing happened. Game seven, first round of the playoffs, against San Antonio a couple of years ago. Uh, I think that time there's 0.8 seconds left. Chris Paul had just hit the shot to put the Clippers ahead. Great series. Fantastic shot by Paul. And then the Spurs are about to do their inbound, inbound play. No timeouts left. And what happens? The clock starts early. So <laughs> the Clippers now know the exact play the Spurs are going to run because the Spurs got an open look too from the first play that they run. So now no timeouts for Pop. No, you've got to play. You've just got to run the play now. So these guys have got form on this, um, and it's something to watch out for. Just some dodgy stuff that I'm seeing from LA. And I suppose they need every every hand, helping hand they can get at the moment. How pathetic a state that franchise is in. Um, from that, Jeez. <laughs> so talking about pathetic states of franchises, does uh, it would be remiss of me not to talk about uh, the Chicago basketball franchise. Uh, the Bulls' process. Uh, do you think? I mean, they're, they're actually on a currently on a three-game win streak, believe it or not. But do you think they're going to have the appetite to see this through? Because this is going to be a long, long rebuild. This is the worst roster in the league. Maybe Sacramento could give them a run in terms of worst rosters in the league. Do you know? Quick, quick stat on Sacramento. Quick, quick. Um, yeah. Change around. Uh, do you know they've got? They take the lowest number of shots from three but they also take the lowest number of shots at the rim in the league. The Kings. The Kings. How can oh, you be dear. last in both of those categories? I just don't understand. But anyway. That's... I, my, the, my first answer would have been Rudy Gay and George Hill, but they, <laughs> they got rid of Rudy Gay and George Hill isn't playing much. <laughs> no. Yeah. So but back to the Bulls. I mean, do you think the Bulls are going to have the, the appetite to sit back and, and have the patience to go through the process and get a, a stockpile a few high draft picks and do the proper rebuild? Or are they going to do an Orlando and, and not have the patience for it and go and, and, and give up on a guy a little bit too early or try and you know add some free agents that just get you to the, the sort of 30 win mark? Well, the question is, there's two questions there, or two ways answered, I suppose. One is, what is this expectation on the franchise? And that comes from the fan base. And having lived in Chicago, even um, you know, even that they obviously they've had the 
obviously Jordan, one of the greatest ever, and had that run. This isn't Chicago's not a basketball city, and so I think the fans and the United Center was such a such a corporatized basketball environment. So I don't think the fans are going to put a ton of pressure in that regard. They'll still sell plenty of tickets, and it'll be a nice enough night out in Chicago for you know for for the execs who go to those sorts of games. I, it's not a, a hardcore ravenous fan base that will be clamoring for it. I'll tell you that. Um, so the, the other dynamic then is on on the inside is what's the relationship between ownership and Garpax, and and what's going to be expected of if are these are those two going to keep their jobs? Are they basically just here to almost play hinky type roles where they're just going to tank with Garpax uh, and then once they get some assets, ship Garpax out and bring in some true uh, franchise builders with totally different skill sets. That's what I also don't know, to be honest with you. So it's hard for us to imagine, right, based on what we've seen the last two years of Garpax, that by any objective measure, how they've kept their jobs. So we have to believe one of two things. Either they got this really, really long runway from ownership, or ownership is uh, going to wake up to the fact that these two aren't the right two for the job, and I don't, I don't have a good read on that yet, Daz. But just looking at their roster, looking at what they've collected, looking how, um, how already 30 games in that Paul George, who only had one year left on his deal, right, whereas Jimmy Butler had two, how Indiana got far more value for Paul George than Chicago got for Jimmy Butler is just so beyond inexcusable that they've dug themselves such a hole that I don't know how they get out of it. So not only the destruction of an all-NBA talent like Jimmy Butler, but as we said a number of times, just the complete uh, flotsam and jetsam of G League-level caliber players in their backcourt is it's going to take years to sift that out just to get competent backcourt play. And And then at the current roster, then do they have anyone to build around? I think the answer is no. I think maybe Zach Levine, maybe with a healthy ACL, nah, not, can not come back. And, not a build around, right? He could, at best he could be your, you know, your twenty point a game chucker, right? Really at best, mm-hmm. but he needs to be third best player. So they don't have any, they have nowhere close to any franchise players. Miritich and Portis are rotation players. Robin Lopez is a rotation player, but so you look at the roster, no stars to build around. Uh, none of the critical positions of great wing depth or point guard play. They've got neither of those two things. Um, the young assets they do have aren't worth that much, and they don't have tons of, of first-round draft picks coming up because they botched the, the Jimmy Butler trade. So it is going to be a very, very long road. And so I think that's the long way of saying, I actually think they have the stomach for it because I think, again, like I said, the fans aren't really, that's really a hockey town. Now the Cubs are good. It's going to be a baseball town. Um, and dare I say, even the bears are probably a bigger deal than the bulls. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll bear with it. Like they'll, they'll stick with it. The fans will, will be okay if they see some, some slow progress, but, um, I don't have a lot of faith based on where the NBA is heading that they can become a competitive team the next even five years. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, I'd still rather watch them than the bears, but. Uh, I, t- I take the point that there's not a lot to build around there. I mean, even Mark and then who's shown some good signs, you wonder what his ceiling is. I mean, it seems to be, 
you know, maybe a starting power forward on a playoff team, potentially, but he's certainly not going to be Dirk Nowitzki or anything like he's that. He's not Yeah. Yeah, or, yeah. or Pazingas or anything like that. But he's going to, he looks like he's going to be a solid NBA player, don't get me wrong, but I don't even think he's going to be an all-star, personally. Um, but we'll wait. So, I mean, it is only his first year, and he's still a young guy. Um, so, but yeah, certainly um, tough, tough times ahead uh, for the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. Well, look, something's, something's, Look, they've won three in a row, and look, they played okay. Like, I saw, I checked in on one of them just to see, because I I literally hadn't watched them all year, because why would you? And they just just made some shots, and it was one of those games where Bobby Portis just couldn't miss. Um, But uh, interestingly enough, right, so whatever's happened, at least they've done at least some uh, damage damage control and reparations between Miritich and, and Portis, where both of them basically... Right, Miritich and his agent wanted out, and now he's he's back and playing, and Portis is playing well, and so is Miritich. So, at least they've gone from you know Dante's ninth concentric circle of hell, just a number of eight. At least they've they've healed they've healed one level of hell where this is only a, a life of locusts and frogs or something or whatever it is. But, oh, I still think when all said and done, I think Phoenix will be the worst team in the NBA. But uh, they're, they're somehow ahead at the moment, but I, I can't see that. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that's day. We need to talk about Phoenix. Now, I'm really upset at what Phoenix are doing at the moment, but I think we need to leave that for another pod, Dad, uh, Dad is when we um, when we look at uh, the Tankathon rankings a bit more closely. Well, we'll do Tankathon, and I'm, I'm also going to – I think you were one of the few people on Josh Jackson Island, and and that they're, they're taking on – Hurricane like water, like mountains did, man. That's a, that's a those are those are stormy shores there, Daz. The... I, I tried to take shelter on Wiggins Mountain, but uh, there was a blizzard that came through there as well, unfortunately. Well, so. we're gonna we'll talk Wiggins and <laughs> did you? Oh, yeah, yeah, I started digging into Wiggins stats this week. So, I'd, you know, he hasn't passed my eye test in a couple of years, and now that Jimmy Jimmy is there, and oh man, Wiggins, oh boy. Mm. Mate, he's he's falling back. Well, I've right? got a question. We might touch on the Wolves again because I've got a question about notice for you, um, yeah. and we'll look at that. Quick couple of ugly things that, that stood out sure, to me. Well, um, we've got uh, Lakers, Lakers Sixers. I watched a bit of this oh. game. It was a close game. I guess in some respects an entertaining game because there was some individual plays that sort of happened on the range. You know, Holmes had a couple of nice dunks. Uh, Randall sort of had a couple of good individual plays. Uh, your boy Ingram hit the big shot at the end of the game. But the, the the just lack of execution from both of these teams was really, really ugly to watch. Uh, and just uh, I'm seeing some real regression, particularly from the Sixers. I expect it from the Lakers. You know, got Lonzo Ball who can't shoot uh, running the offense. Uh, and, I mean, ESPN... Oh, why do ESPN go on about Lonzo Ball all the time? Look, he's not playing that well. Just concentrate on someone else, for goodness sake, for five seconds. But anyway, I'll go off another rant about that. But I want to talk, I guess, more on the Sixers because I think they're more relevant to this season than what the Lakers are. And I'm just seeing some regression. Ben Simmons, you know, playing some inefficient basketball. We sort of talked earlier in the season he wasn't making bad decisions. Some of the... Some little bit bad habits here and there creeping into his game. Um, and I think he's starting to feel the effects of not being able to shoot, talk about poor shooters. He's not even looking for any sort of outside shots, always going towards the rim. 
Uh, and I don't think JJ Reddick hasn't played that well. I, I think they'd probably be a little bit disappointed in his level of play at times, you know, particularly down the stretch of games. I've seen him miss some shots. Uh, and and Bede still sitting out, you know, back-to-backs and things like that, which hasn't helped their record. But, I mean, what have you seen? You've watched a few Sixers games this week. What are you several. seeing yeah. uh, from them at the moment? Because they did uh, steady the ship with a win against Minnesota today, but they've been on a bit of a slide prior to that, including losses to the Suns, which really is inexcusable to lose to that basket case at the moment, and uh, the Lakers. Yeah, although they also got, I saw them a, a really interesting game, probably with more better played, although no defense, a game against the Pelicans. That was an entertaining game um, that the Pels took down um, the Sixers. So I watched that as well. I watched them sort of fall short against the, a little bit against the Cavs, but I watched that entire Lakers game. I thought that was going to be a good early season, you know, sort of, or third of the way season. Um, uh, why do I never remember the name of the NBA league class? <laughs> League pass game. I thought Lakers, Lakers, Sixers, great league pass. But I saw the same you did. It was like it looked like a couple of, um, you know, like a couple of teenage virgins trying to have sex. It just was all kinds of movement and really awkward and kind of clumsy and, or like when you jump into the, you know, you go into the pool and you've got your swimming trunks on and that and the netting sort of kind of grinds up against your crotch and it kind of hurts. But you're having a good time in the pool. And you have to kind of always fix the netting because it's kind of crunching one of your bits and it's like oh god like yeah this is really fun and we're having a good time in the pool but man this thing is really digging that, that that's what the sixers have felt like to me it's just this oh it's just oh um yeah like you find the brilliance of an Embiid play and you find the brilliance of a of a ben simmons pass but then i literally saw three or four positions in the first half of that sixers game where ben simmons is like doing behind-the-back passes and, like, no-look pocket passes and just no-look everything and just over, like, he's already got a sense of himself, and I didn't like that at all. And I think if I just hope that Joel, I believe that, I hope that Ben Simmons' personality wins out in in Philadelphia, not Joel Embiid's, because if, if Joel Embiid wins out and his personality becomes the personality of the team and we see... Ben Simmons stepping out of his own body to try and showboat behind the back, no look, every fucking pass, you know, in the second quarter of a, you know, a 42 to 40 game, that team's going to be in trouble. If that becomes Joel Embiid's team, I I think they're in trouble. Because that guy, look, he's a lovely kid, right? But man, does he fucking think he's way beyond what he's ever accomplished. And I think that's a risk for that team. So I think with Brown sort of coaching and, and Simmons is, what could be otherworldly playmaking, literally otherworldly. Like he has LeBron James passing ability, I think, inside of him, unless he gets hot dog. So I saw some hot doggy stuff, which I didn't love. I, I saw lots of clunkiness, which you already alluded to. Um, so you see the individual sort of potential, but man, that thing is definitely not greater than the than the sum of its parts at the moment. Look, I'm a little bit less concerned about the. Reddick is a one-year rental just to sort of shoot the ball to provide some space for the guys, and he's there for a paycheck, no other reason. He just was tired of the, you know, the, of the Clippers circus and being under Doc Rivers. So JJ's there to have a bit of fun, and he'll move on, you know, late stages of his career and become, you know, become Kyle Korver Jr. So I'm not too worried about Reddick and, and sort of what they're getting from them. But um, 
Uh, look, that for me is my big takeaway is, of course, they're playing some – they're playing clunky, but they're young. So I don't want to go too far and go too overboard with it. But I'm just – I'm going to watch this for the personality of the team. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I mean, there's a lot of hype around the team that the fans have sort of got a bit ahead of themselves uh, if you read some of the reports and, and how excited them. And I, and the, I get it. You know, they went through hell, the fans, for a few years. Though. They've seen a team that's exciting and winning games and things like that. But I agree with you. I mean, the, the personality of the team is going to be interesting. And if it is a Joel Embiid-type team, uh, and if he rubs off on Simmons more than Simmons rubbing off on him, uh, that's, that might not lead to the best outcomes for the 76ers. So it is going to be saying, and I guess can, can Brett Brown control these um, personalities? Yeah. Because he let them, he's let them flourish in many ways uh, to keep things interesting during all the losing that's happened. Uh, I guess the other thing to watch is Markel Fultz not too far from returning from what we're hearing. So let's wait and see. Fingers crossed we see something more positive from him than what we saw in the, in the four uh, short games that he played at the start of this yeah. year because they're actually not a very deep team and I, I guess coming into the season we probably weren't even looking that closely at them to worry about depth or anything like that but the more you see of them the more you look at their bench play and go oh that, that is terrible so that's why Trevor Booker to touch on an earlier conversation uh, is, a, is a very good a very nice addition to this team if Fultz can come back and start giving them some positive uh, minutes as well uh, and they sort of don't have to rely on the, you know, the likes of um, TJ McConnell too much off the bench, uh, that's going to only be beneficial uh, for the Sixers going forward. So going to be interesting to see if they can sort of hang on. The, they're, they're back in the playoff picture now. They're sort of fighting out with uh, the Miami Heat. Uh, Detroit sort of falling back into that, uh, that area as well. And the Knicks are still there also. So they're sort of all in and around yeah. that 7-8 seed. The Wizards are there. We, we don't expect the Wizards to, to sort of stick around there um, too much. So we, we've looked as a little bit about, and and what made me think about this today, we've, we've looked at the, the West and the East and, and we sort of concentrated on the top end of the West more so and then those sort of teams middling around in the Eastern Conference playoff picture. And the question was asked, it was on the Ringer podcast between Chris Vernon and Kevin O'Connor, and Vernon asked O'Connor who was going to be the fourth seed in the Western Conference. And as he sort of went through the, the teams, I started to think, gee, you know, the, the top end of the Western Conference with the Spurs, Rockets and, and Warriors, yes, they're, they're still elite teams and arguably would win the Eastern Conference if they were over there. But, gee, there's a drop-off after that. And I, and I look at it in totality. I mean, is there an argument to be made that the Eastern Conference is a better conference this year than the Western Conference? Well, I don't know about all due respect. I think the Spurs aren't better than the Celtics and Cavaliers. I think they're, they'd be in the conversation. But I think the Rockets and Warriors are both better than, than the Spurs and the Cavs. Um, look, in terms of expectations, for sure. Look, I think we thought this was going to be... Uh, this, you know, with all the movement, right? All the superstars, all the all-stars going from east to west, from Jimmy to, to Paul George and then on and on and on, um, and all the sort of super teams conglomerating. I thought right, our expectations of the West were so high. And look, they probably have a pretty normal distribution curve, though, in terms of wins and losses. Now, the bottom of the West, right? It's the other thing. They're going to get fat on Dallas, Memphis, Phoenix, uh, Clippers, Lakers, um, and Sacramento, right? There's one, two, three, four, five, six teams who we, right? That's how the East has also been weighted down in years past. The bottom of the West, 
Now the bottom of the West is really, really deep. There are six teams who have absolutely no shot. So already 25 games into the season, and it's a nine-team race for eight spots. Now, beginning of the year, we thought, right, how do we leave out teams like Memphis, who's there all the time, or a team like the Clippers, who we thought could be fighting for an eight spot, maybe even higher if they stayed, if Blake played 70-some games. Look, their injuries have taken hold, and they're absolutely going to go they're going to go south, whereas the bottom of the east, you know what? They're, the bottom is a little bit better than the bottom of the west. The Hornets, Magic, Nets, yeah, I'd probably put them, you know, a half a step ahead of Suns, Kings, Lakers, Clippers. So from that perspective, I think the bottom of the west is deeper and a bit worse. Again, I know exactly who the Bulls and Hawks are when I say that. So I think that's probably where it's probably the expectations, right? We thought we thought little of Indiana, right? We had no... There's no team in the West who has an Indiana Pacers season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or even for, like, the, the Raptors, right? Well, I was kind of, I thought, as much as I, I didn't like them in the playoffs, I'm like, shit, there's a, some untapped upside. And sure enough, they've tapped some upside. That looks like a, it could be a 55, 56, 57 win team if they keep it together. And Toronto's got some neat depth now. Um, the Sixers are probably where we thought they were. So I guess maybe those are the only two now that Detroit's lost seven in a row. Ask me a week ago, and this conversation is three teams who've been outstanding. But, you know, Raptors and Indiana have probably wildly out, kind of outperformed. The Bucks probably modestly outperformed, not with Bledsoe. And who in the West has outperformed besides San Antonio? Nobody, right? Am yeah. I wrong? Uh, well, out, well out, San Antonio is just, only yeah. circumstantial, too. I mean, if Kawhi is yeah, fit, you're right. probably expecting yeah. them around that sort of win total anyway. So, yeah, that's right. And I yeah. look at, I mean, that's the thing. I think the East in the middle part, so you're looking at the Bucks, Pacers, Wizards, that, that's the four, five, that's the four, five, six seeds in the East, Bucks, Pacers, Wizards. The four, five, six in the West is Timberwolves, Nuggets, Nuggets and Trailblazers. Man, I'm taking Bucks, Pacers, Wizards, aren't you? Well, no question. And then, and yeah, to your earlier point, yeah. the bottom of the East, Chicago aside, I think is much better. I mean, even the Hawks, the Hawks aren't playing really terrible, terrible basketball. I mean, they're, in, they're actually competitive in a lot of games. They're just not, not finishing them off. And John Collins has had some moments as well as a rookie. The Hornets are much better, I think, than their record suggests. Uh, the Magic are on a bit of a swoon, and we've already spoken about the Nets. So the 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 bottom of yeah. each conference, I think, is, is good. I think where the West has it is at the top end of the conferences. But even, even then, I mean, the Celtics have sort of kept pace in terms of win-losses. Uh, the Cavs, they won't fear anyone. They can certainly compete with anyone. Uh, and, the, and the Raptors are probably a little bit below that sort of Spurs level if you're comparing three versus three. But uh, I think overall, as a total package, I think the East is stronger than the West. Yeah. In a way, um, question without notice, do you know behind, behind Houston and Golden State, who's got the best point differential in the NBA? So who's number three? Don't look. I don't look. I would... I would guess it's not Celtics. Boston. It's not Boston. It's not. Okay. And you know it's not Cleveland. Uh, it's not. I know it's not Cleveland. Is it, it might be the Raptors? Is it? It's the Raptors. It yeah. is the Raptors. Okay. They're the three seed. And they've got the third best point differential, right, in the league. So I go. It's just it's a it's a metric. It's not the it's yeah. not the the metric. I suppose that some make it out to be. I know it's probably the better longer term prediction. But again, my example is: Hey, the Clippers won a game by fifty four points. <laughs> <laughs> in in October, that's going to carry the Clippers a long way, 
right? They beat the Phoenix by 54 or 56, so and no wonder they're only a minus two differential. So anyway, some in-season sort of farts with that that metric. But um, Well, how many teams are kicking I'm, themselves at the moment over OGN and Navi? I know we've touched him a couple of times. But, I mean, I was looking at the, the Pacers roster earlier, and you're looking at TJ Leaf, and you're thinking, that could have been OG and Anobi. I, th- I think there's a number of teams that must be just kicking themselves over, over missing out on that guy. I think there's a lot of kicking going on, for sure. <laughs> you mean, I, we were ropeable, right, with the Zach Collins, Caleb Swanigan, um, TJ Leaf were my three most hated draft picks this year. So I, did, I didn't probably know the answers to whom they should draft, but... But yeah, Ananobi with obvious sort of physical tools and ACL just scared them away. But yeah, lots of kicking, lots of kicking of thine selves. But um, yeah, well, even, interesting question. Uh, even Jared Allen's looked better than those guys uh, in the minutes he's played for the Nets. Yeah, Collins is the Collins kids played well in in um. He's in good. He can leap. I didn't I didn't realize how athletic he was yeah. until I actually saw him play, and I was like, because that wasn't the the rap on him. The rap on him was more of a. Uh, back to the basket sort of player, but he's a he's got some athleticism. Yeah, he does, he does. Yeah. So and I liked I liked how um, Zach Lowe just to put a final point on on this one was the just, sorry you got me now thinking about second round picks. The Zach Lowe said he wants nothing more than for Jordan Bell to be to have a fifteen year NBA career and be the, the dominant big man and just perfectly round out and win like six NBA titles with the Warriors, if for no other reason than to stick it for the ignorance of the Chicago Bulls for selling a second-round draft pick. So I go back to your – sorry, I just remember that was my last point I forgot to mention about the, the Bulls process. Is they're doomed when you sell Jordan Bells to a 73-win team? You deserve, you deserve all the crap that you get. So sorry, I just remembered one more thing to pile on the Bulls. Well, I'll tell you, I can, we can pile on the Bucks for the same thing because I think Patrick McCaw is going to win multiple NBA titles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although I think <laughs> Bell's upside looks higher, I think, from the the little bit I've seen than what McCaw's is. But McCaw's a competent NBA player. Yeah, he'll um, play. He'll play. I think, I mean, there's We're... obviously something to be said for developing in the Warriors environment versus developing in the Bulls or the, or the Bucks environment, all due respect to the Bucks. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. Geez, yeah. No, it, it's a lot easier developing around those guys and developing in a winning environment, as we're again seeing in Boston. Um, although Boston, you know, could have easily fallen off a cliff after Haywood goes out. Uh, did you see the phase of Haywood just to, to wrap that up um, without the walking boot? No, I, so contrary to, or maybe I need to make this very, very clear that um, I couldn't hate a city city's fan base or a franchise more than the Patriots and the Celtics. And so that was with the, the context by which I couldn't believe how much I like their style of play. Right. And so with that being said, there is no chance I'm checking on any Celtics news or any rumors or some, some lovely kid with the, all the gel in his hair. Now he's walking and he's talking and his, his boots removed and Oh, Gordon wiggled his toes. No Daz, I've not watched fucking Gordon Hayward wiggle his fucking toes, mate. No. I'm going to be talking about the fucking Celtics for the next decade. I know it. So, no, I haven't seen it. Good <laughs> well, for him. Yeah, well, there is a chance. They're holding I heard, a chance. I heard he hurt his ankle. Is that right? Well, he sprained a, his ankle. Apparently, well, the, this is the story, because it was a clean break. There is, a, there is some rumors circulating that a March timetable has been thrown out there. So I guess it's just one thing to watch uh, with Boston doing as well as they are, um, whether they 
they look at uh, make some sort of assessment on him, I guess, uh, in March to see whether he's able to uh, to come in or not. Because even uh, to wrap up on the Boston, I mean, even though they lost that game, Spurs, I came away much more impressed than I probably went into the game with just in to your point earlier on their style of play, just how unselfish they were up until that last um, couple Curry of plays. Ball, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But uh, okay, Daz. Well, look, we might leave it there for this week. We'll try and uh, we'll try and have one more episode before uh, the end of the year. And I, and I believe you've got a trip to the states coming up uh, at the end of the year here, hoping to take in a couple of bucks games. I'm hoping to catch uh, Pacers and Raptors the first week of January. A couple of couple of cracking games there at the. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it should be good times if um, if I can get there. Well, you can compare in person TJ Leaf to OG Ananobi. <laughs> TJ, I'm going to get down in the court and get DJ Wilson and TJ Leaf to sign my to sign my basketball. <laughs> I should have no problem queuing up for their autographs. Right, Rashad Vaughn. Hey, Rashad. You know. So yeah. speaking of teams kicking themselves, man, if if Thon D, Thon or DJ Wilson don't become something. Oy, 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 oy. Well, Ojan and Obi wouldn't fit into the Bucks philosophy. No, toughness, defense, <laughs> ruggedness. No, fuck it, bugger that. No, but um, yes, yeah, we'll so, uh, we'll try to get another episode in here before I disappear. Yes, the... we'll we'll try and aim for early next week, Daz. But look, good to catch up again. We'll uh, the the big marquee matchup. Hopefully, it'll be Spurs Rockets. But um, I'm, I'll, I'll be interested to see. Obviously, with Kawhi on the minutes minutes restriction at the moment, how that one plays out. But uh, it should be a fascinating game either way on the weekend. Yeah, so any other any other headliners coming up? Uh, the Rockets actually have two good games on the weekend. They play the Bucks on Sunday, does. So I know that you'll be watching that one. Oh, do they? On Sunday? Yeah, yeah home, both, home, both at home for Houston. Uh, they've got San Antonio coming in on Friday US time and the Bucks Saturday. So Saturday, Sunday, double header with the Rockets, the best oh, team in the right. league, coming up against. Um, you know, That'll the, be interesting. The Two teams. And, and the Bucks. So the Bucks in Houston are both of them are on the second night of a back to back. That'll be interesting. Mm. Maybe maybe Harden needs a rest. That'd be good. <laughs> He's a little tired. <laughs> he is looking a bit tired. But, uh, does he is looking a bit tired? So. All right, Daz, we'll leave it there. We'll, we'll see how those games go on the weekend. It might be a good time to tr- try and catch up Monday or something like that and, and, and see how those games went. Sounds good, buddy. All Have right, a good mate. week. Cheers. Talk to you Cheers. Soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.